Greetings, mortal denizens of the doomed planet Earth. If you are hearing this message, then you are now able to perceive the podcast known as Which Is More. I am Xanthor, an interdimensional being born outside the confines of your reality, charged with observing and documenting the many doings of every sentient life form throughout the cosmos. As luck would have it, I was sent to watch over your world. And for the first couple million years, things were pretty interesting. But then, I'll admit, I got kind of bored and may have stopped paying attention. Now, as you probably already know, your civilization is crumbling and your planet is on the verge of ecological collapse. Unfortunately though, I'm still responsible for cataloging your entire cultural legacy, without much time left to do so. Therefore, I have enlisted the services of the most generic human being I could find, an American man-child by the name of Pete Musto. However, I also kind of already used up much of my capacity to document your species, So, each week, my co-host and I will call upon two experts to argue over what is the best example of a given aspect of the human experience, worthy of one of the few remaining spots in what will be the eternal accounting of what it means to be an Earthling. This week, our experts are Greg Gethard and Jake Flores. Greg is a comedian who has opened for Hassan Minaj, Aparna Nancharla, and Brett Davis. He is also the author of Cash Dad, Trash Dad, a best-selling memoir of his experiences as a quote-unquote financial guru. Jake is also a comedian who has performed on South by Southwest and Comedy Central's Roast Battle, and has been published in the New York Times. He co-hosts two podcasts, Poddam America, with Alex Patak and Anders Lee, and Why You Mad, with Luisa Diaz. If you enjoy the impassioned squabbling you are about to hear, please subscribe to Which Is More with Pete Musto and Xanthor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Which Is More Podcast on Instagram and Which Is More One on Twitter. Now, please enjoy the only podcast that aims to identify everything about humanity worth saving as the end of the world rapidly approaches. All right, everybody, welcome back to Which Is More. I'm your host, Pete Musto, and we have got two fantastic guests today. We have on one side of our debate, Greg Gethard. Hi. And on the other, Jake Flores. Good evening. <laughs> Setting the menacing tone already. I like it. Okay. <laughs> um, this one, I imagine, will be a fairly competitive debate because it's based around a fairly competitive topic, arcade games. Uh, something I've spent many an hour as a kid. I think my the one game that I put most of my time into was the Die Hard arcade game. Does anybody remember that one? Uh, no, I don't. I don't care about the SWAT members. Where is the president's daughter? 
Oh man, that it, that was a real motherfucker of a game. It was very hard, and um, I think I one afternoon I spent twenty five dollars and only got to like the fifth level of the game. But regardless, that is we're not talking about Die Hard's arcade game. We're talking about which is the best arcade game in all of human history, either the Adams Family Pinball Machine or the Star Wars Episode One pod racing arcade game which by the way jake i think you're the first person that i've ever have heard speak about the arcade version and not like the dreamcast or i was not dreamcast uh, like n64 version of that game so is there like a special connection you have to arcades do you prefer arcades to uh in-home gaming yeah, I mean, the console version actually plays into my argument here, but I definitely think that the arcade itself is a magical place when you're a kid. And within the arcade, you definitely see, like, whether a game is sort of designed for the experience of playing it in the arcade or whether it's a sort of a half-assed port into, like, a stand-up machine. <laughs> you got to tell whether it was developed first for the stand-up machine or first for, like, a console. And with the Episode One Racer, it's one of these games where there's, like, a giant, like, molded vehicle that you get inside of. Mm. Usually those are bullshit, right? Usually it's, like... It's the Jurassic Park one. You pull a curtain and then you're supposed to be in like <laughs> the, the rail ride thing or whatever yeah. from Jurassic Park. But it's just a black room and the screen is too far away. It's never pulled off with the level of technical brilliance as the uh, episode one racer. That thing, you know, I'm not going to say it makes you feel like you're in a pod racer because who could say, but it definitely gets there. And the game not to go into my whole spiel so far or right off the bat, but the, mm-hmm, please. the the console game on the Nintendo 64 actually comes with, if you're in the know, like a cheat code you can use to set up two Nintendo 64 controllers to be the side joystick things, one for each hand, so that you can emulate what it's like to play the game as it is meant to be played in the arcade, right? What does that tell you? Arcade games king. But why would one want to cheat in a video game? Well, generally cheating gives you somewhat of a challenge, uh, or it, it cuts out a little bit of a challenge, right? Which is sort of like an instant gratification. It's, uh, you know, the first thing you would come to in your life in terms of like a vice, I guess, when you're a child. But this is actually not a cheat code. It's more of an enhancement, mm-hmm. I would say, turning your... Um, your two Nintendo controllers into like a console with like within themselves. Um, not cheat code. Def lives outside of the realm of cheat code. That is secret way to make the game actually, let's be honest, probably more challenging. Yeah. I mean, my dad one time actually like this is how much of a nerd he is. He, he was never like big about me playing sports, but one time he caught me putting cheat codes into Warcraft one, the OG <laughs> Warcraft. And he like chasing me for like 20 minutes. He was like, what would you, why are you doing that? How could you be so immoral? And I was like 10 years old. The computer doesn't have feelings. He was also obsessed with the game Mist. I don't know if you guys ever played that. Yeah. I'm starting to get a picture of who your dad is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he 
like it's for those of you who don't know it was a game strictly the, the sole purpose of which seems to be just to aimlessly wander around a spooky island pulling levers and trying to solve incomprehensible puzzles but yeah uh greg what about you why um arcades why do you think they're special what what is it about them that speaks to the human experience well i that's a good question right the first arcades i went to i still go to oddly enough not regularly my family we used to go on vacation all the time like almost every summer to this uh place in upstate new york called lake george lake george village Mm -hmm. and uh, the town itself is kind of like a Jersey Shore garbage town. Like you can get offensive T-shirts and fudge, and they have <laughs> uh, I think two arcades. Maybe they used to have three, but they have two right now. And you know, like the big thing when we were little kids, like me and my brother, you know, like we'd be up there when you know I'd be like eight or nine or ten or whatever. Would be like the big culmination of the trip would be like the night at the arcade mm-hmm. kind of thing. So for me, it just has like these weird, like this kind of like tangible, like kind of family moment there. And my parents uh, live up there full time now. So anytime I go up there, like I I pop in, you know, I pop in the arcade and, um, you know, I usually play, um, I play some skee-ball up there. Mm -hmm. And um, I I really, you know, um, so just for me, it's got like that kind of like timelessness and everything. And like, I'm really pumped for, you know, like I have, um, my son's like one, you know, a little over one years old and everything. And once we get through this, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this pandemic we're living through or anything. What pandemic? (laughs) Hopefully once we get, you know, like, I'm really excited to like, for him to be like, you know, like when he's five to play his like first skee-ball game with me and my, and my parents and, you know, like. Seeing the, you know, uh, him with like a whole bunch of tickets, getting a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. Just like junk toys he'll he'll never enjoy for more than like a day. So if I could reference something Jake brought up. Sure. That brought me a brief panic attack is the Jurassic Park arcade game. Oh, yeah. Uh, so one bad arcade memory I have, it's arcade-ish, is... The summer of 1996, I spent working at the Chuck E. Cheese oh, on Route 10 in East Hanover, New Jersey. <laughs> and a large part of my job duties were to fix uh, fix arcade games. Mm-hmm. And the Jurassic Park game broke down all of the time, like more than any other game. Like I can't, like just hearing that and be just made me think of all the times like I had to fix that dumb game. It was. It, it never ended how, how many, and one of like the best awful things I've ever done in my life with like insane ramifications came from fixing that game. Oh. Um, one of the things they did at Chuck E. Cheese at the, at the East Hanover outlet, I don't know if it was everyone, but we rigged it. So no matter your results, you got the same amount of tickets oh. and we had tickets for arcade games, not just for skee-ball. Right. Um, and it was just because, like, we didn't want to have to keep on fixing these things, like, if you're trying to gauge it by score or whatever. So we just, you know, it was like, and it's like, who cares? It's like a bunch of crap anyways. So uh, I was fixing the Jurassic Park one and this um, little bratty girl. I was, like, 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 18 when I worked there. And this girl was, like, probably, like, 9 or 10. And she's like, this game isn't working. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm trying to fix it. And And she's like, Oh, is that your job? I'm like, yeah, that is my job. And then she said, 
that's a stupid job. And then she, <laughs> she spit directly in my face. <laughs> it's like, girl. So I was like steaming mad. And it was like, I'm like mad as anything at Chuck E. Cheese anyways. So later on in like probably like 20 minutes later, I was like griping one of my coworkers about it. And I'm like, I'm going to get that girl. I'm going to get her good. And she was running and didn't see me. And I intentionally tripped her <laughs> and she fell like, wiped out completely wiped out and her parents saw it. Her parents <laughs> saw me intentionally trip their child um, and they were like immediately like we're seeing the manager and um, the manager, uh, I was like, you know, the manager really liked me a lot and everything. But um, so like, I was like, I'm going to be fired. I didn't care, but I was like going back to college in a couple of weeks anyways, mm-hmm. like what did I care, whatever. But um, this, the parents like were not let this go. And the dad had like this weird, like, braided ponytail mm. he had like a braided rat tail to like mid neck and and his wife was like super super like they were like the trashiest family like mm-hmm. you, you, you've ever seen and the type of people who go to a Chuck E. Cheese and where was it like East Hanover New Jersey and, <laughs> yeah. and raise a child who will spit in a minimum wage worker's face <laughs> um, so um, my manager pulled me aside and said um you know, like Greg, just like, you know, like they want me to fire you. I'm like, I'm not going to do that, but they're going to raise a stink and everything unless you, if you don't apologize. I was like, she spit my face. She spit my, and he's like, just apologize. And you know, like, it'll be fine. And I'm like, all right, like I calmed down or whatever. So I was like, look, I'm sorry. I, I was mad. I, that's not how adults act. And then the dad, I swear to God, the dad was like, apologies come at eye level. <laughs> so I had to like squat and like kind of kneel before a child and apologize <laughs> to a child who had just an hour ago spit in my face. Wow. All because of the busted Jurassic Park arcade game. Um. So I think safely we can say then Xanthor, do not keep that one around after humanity has been extinguished because – it sounds like it's caused more suffering than it's worth. Duly noted. I will file it under the same category of catastrophically infuriating endeavors originally intended as entertainment, along with Echo the Dolphin and the original Contra game. But I do have some interesting facts about uh, arcade games just to give us a little definition of our terms here especially because people don't really go to arcades anymore. So maybe there's some of you out there who don't know what an arcade is, but an arcade game, according to Wikipedia is a coin operated entertainment machine, typically installed in public businesses, such as restaurants, bars, amusement arcades, and Chuck E. Cheese's (laughs) most, uh, they didn't, that was not originally in the Wikipedia article. I just editorialized there. Um, but most arcade games are video games, pinball machines, electromechanical games, redemption games, or merchandisers, which are, you know, the ones that spit out tickets. While exact dates are debated, the golden age of arcade video games is usually defined as a period between the late 70s and early 1980s. Um, excluding a brief resurgence in the early 1990s, the arcade industry declined in the Western Hemisphere as competing home video game consoles such as PlayStation and Xbox increased in their graphics and gameplay capability and decreased in cost. The Eastern Hemisphere, however, retains a strong arcade industry. Um, Quick question, guys. Have you guys ever been to Asia, East Asia, by chance? No. 
Uh, no. Oh, I taught used to teach English in South Korea, and actually, it was actually Japan though that had the wildest. There's like a whole area of Tokyo called I think it's like Electric Town or something like that. Ooh, cool. Um, yeah, and it's just like all these fucking arcade games. It's like as far as the eye can see. And they're open 24 hours and I'm pretty sure you can drink in them. And it really makes me disappointed that that is not a thing here. You know what I mean? Like you're forgetting something called Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, but Dave and Buster's like, there's something in, it's like the, the adult version of Chuck E. Cheese. Like that girl who spit in your face is probably there now as a full grown adult spitting in workers faces there, you know, yeah. you can also drink at a lot of Chuck E. Cheese's. Well, you can technically drink at all of them, but a lot of them you're like, they'll serve it to you. Yeah. Yeah. We used to steal, we used to um, sneak beers there like after work. That was um, because we had like one and it was one I can't I was like Michelo it was like some crappy domestic beer yeah one on tap and yeah. everything yeah a lot of them have wine on tap wine on tap yeah paired well with uh breadsticks apparently uh I also read once that a uh, uh Chuck E Cheese I think possibly in New Jersey got busted for having a basement where the workers were hosting satanic rituals no. Why is it always a pizza place? Uh, it's <laughs> that's pretty incredible. I mean, satanic rituals, as if there's like something tied to a giant rat that plays guitar with dead eyes that makes you think like this is where the dark lord will return to the earth. <laughs> of course, yeah, it's natural. But the first popular arcade games included early amusement park midway games such as shooting galleries ball toss games and the earliest coin operated machines in the 1930s the first coin operated pinball machine emerged it was i think originally called baffle ball but so the funny thing is these early amusement machines differed from their later electronic cousins as they were made entirely of wood uh which seems like playing a wooden pinball machine you can't like have wooden balls and like wooden things hitting each other and have it make the same sound. I think like that removes 50% of the pinball experience. Yeah. But efforts, this is something I, I read this interesting though. Efforts to regulate coin operated video games were pretty widespread because the coin operated industry was tied closely to organized crime and was often used as a front for money laundering. And possibly gambling, which is awesome that like guys like fucking like Tony Soprano were like, yeah, we can make maybe a couple hundred extra bucks off of some kids playing Plinko in a laundromat, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The $275 in quarters. Yeah. We got to install the Simpsons uh, arcade game there. But in 1966, Sega introduced an electromechanical game called Periscope, which is the first kind of light gun shooter where that you it was a, a plastic gun that shot light beams at a screen then in 1969 sega released missile which was the first arcade game to have a joystick Ooh. which you think is like again like one of those iconic parts of like a pinball making noise an arcade game has to have a joystick um Something else from Wikipedia, the Wikipedia said was that the major resurgence that our arcades experienced in 1991 was due in large part to the re- release of Capcom's Street Fighter 2, which I don't think I've ever met a single person that's ever played Street Fighter 1. Yeah. 
I don't even think I've ever seen a Street Fighter one in an arcade. Yeah, what the hell's going on with that? Yeah. I wonder if it was one of those things that like they like just made Street Fighter 2 and they're just so they'd be like, yo, you guys remember one? Well, this is the the awesome sequel. And like nobody ask any deeper questions about what, <laughs> what the- Street Fighter 2, man. Zangief is off the hook. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you what do you guys if you could guess? What would, what do you think would be the highest grossing arcade game of all time? Um, the one that probably people dumped the most money into would be like probably not something very good. Probably something very addictive, like one of the ticket games that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, You're warm. <laughs> I'm gonna go the the spinny. Like the thing with the, the lights that go in a circle, oh, and then you press yes. a coin in and you slam a button to stop it to try to get like you know a hundred tickets or something. Easily, what what appears to be like the your best shot for winning too, but is definitely fucking like infuriatingly hard. I, I either that or that like thing that's just got an entire xbox inside of it and it's like all you need to do is put the key through the shaped hole what's wrong with you you idiot why can't you do it (laughs) so my guess my guess is going to be solely because they have an awesome documentary about it but it's going to be donkey kong oh are you talking about king of kong the document the money love that documentary if anybody has not seen that who's listening please go watch it because it's like the level of intensity of those two guys and the world of competitive arcade gaming, like in the, what they're talking about, the golden age was pretty wild, but um, at least according to Wikipedia, but you're both wrong. The highest grossing arcade game supposedly is Pac-Man. Oh yeah. It's duh. Oh yes. Kind of impossible to beat. It's been around forever. I mean, you were, yeah, I mean, you were pretty warm with the, like it's repetitive, it's addictive and like, it's not that complicated. But you want to know something weird, please. I just Googled Street Fighter one to see what it looks like. And I found a game called Street Fighter one that can't be real because why would they call it Street Fighter one? <laughs> it's got a big one. That is a very good. It would just be Street Fighter. Yeah, I think it's just a Photoshop job. I think we're on to something. They want this shit, you know, covered up for some reason. Yeah, it's like that. Um, what's that Shaq movie? Fucking Kazam. The fucking yeah, Mandela, Mandela effect. effect. Wow. Um, yeah, I really so glad that that somebody has capitalized on just like turning their own forgetfulness into a bullshit conspiracy theory. Like, no, I can't be wrong. We just must be in an alternative dimension. Yeah. I, I could not have possibly remembered the title of that horrible Shaq movie that I probably like fell asleep in. <laughs> so I had a, um, not a t-shirt from the movie Shazam, but a belly shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I got at, um, a thrift store somewhere. And I think it was the same aforementioned summer of 96 when I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. Was this what you humans qualify as cool? Did you look like a cool guy? No, Xanthor. I did not look like a cool guy. Follow-up question. How often does the needle move on what a cool guy is? A lot. I mean, yeah, a really kind of staggeringly, existentially dreadful amount. Like, I'm constantly trying to chase that that dragon 
But I, I have a couple more facts here, though, that I read on Quora. Contributor Stephen Dowell said, apparently Pac-Man was so popular in Japan, it led to a shortage of yen coins. That's how you generate $10.9 billion in revenue since 1980. Because that's how much money people have spent playing Pac-Man over the last 40 years. Well, we have the coin shortage. Uh, are, are you guys inflicted with the coin shortage? The, the Wawa I go to says like they're, they're begging people to pay with change because you can't get change anywhere because um, mint and, U.S. Mint employees were sent home. Oh, for yeah. Everything. And then at the same time, like people aren't using things you actually would use change for, like vending machines or arcade games. Mm-hmm. You know, so because of that, people just have change. And even though the arcade industry in America, as you have factually shown, isn't in its prime and is dwindling, you got to think, you know, like it is part of the supply chain mechanism of how change flows in our currency, in our economy and everything. So I think there should probably be some kind of like arcade awareness plan in any (laughs) next round of uh, stimulus funding. Yeah. I like where this is going. How are we going to keep our arcades afloat if we don't pump out more? Co- I mean, does anything cost less than a quarter in arcade? I, I don't think so. Except, well, th- this is actually another thing I wanted to bring up, about, uh, bring up about the Jurassic Park arcade game is that I feel like that was the first arcade that was like, no, this game costs four quarters. Right. right, right. You know what I mean? Like, like go like what the audacity the audacity of the makers of that game to be surrounded by games that cost one quarter and be like, you're going to pay four times as much. <laughs> yeah. This game is four times as good as the regular game, even though it breaks down constantly. <laughs> I used to go to this bank where uh, they actually had to discontinue this because um, it someone sued because it, it didn't really work properly, but they had one of those machines that you drop all the coins in and then it like sorts right, them right. and it takes 10% or whatever. But it was a bank, right? So it couldn't really take like a percentage. But what it did was uh, for some reason, TD Bank had this machine that just was gamified. It was a arcade game in itself. And there was this weird little like Japanese cartoon girl that would be like, wow, um, oh, look how many coins you have. And then at the end, she would ask you, do you want to guess how much money you have in change before i give you like a ticket and um if you guessed you know close to the whatever you get like a voucher for a prize mm-hmm. so in the bank there's like a arcade like prize booth thing <laughs> and you would just get like a, like a little trapper keeper or like extra pens or it was really stupid there wasn't cool stuff back there yeah but some they got sued because that thing uh wasn't counting correctly <laughs> so a it was screwing you out of money and b more importantly screwing you out of like pencil toppers and stuff like that. Can we just go back with a second and just just say I don't know what earth you're look you're talking about when you say that the uh change redemption machine at your TD Bank branch did not have cool things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you also TD Bank? Yeah. I I mean anytime I've gone to a TD Bank and I've used the 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 change machine, it's usually been like a jawbreaker t-shirt. Or like, uh, <laughs> it's always been like something really cool. Beats, Beats headphones, stuff like that. No, I got a folder. <laughs> I said I got a good branch. I'm going to. <laughs> well, I read 
as well on from this core entry that apparently the inventor of Tetris didn't get any money from his game until about 10 years after it hit arcades. He was a Soviet computer scientist and the USSR took all the money he would have gotten. That's why you need to come to America, baby. Fucking work at a Chuck E. Cheese, get spit in the face. You At least you have a job at the end of the day. You're making money, not getting your fucking game ripped off by fucking Stalin or... <laughs> I like that Tetris was nationalized. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's sad that they didn't get compensation because it was a very tanky video game. It had yeah. the spires and the music and everything, and it was very nationalistic and, you know, it was against... I guess... I guess Donkey, I mean, if we're going to look at things through this lens, then Mario was like a Italian fascist and mm. it's not okay that we let him take control of the video game sphere. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I guess are there like, is there like an American capitalist video game? I guess that's like every, every video, game. every other game. Yeah. Can I um, confess something in public to, to you guys? Yes, please. So I have not played video games in like so long, like the last video. And I, I was never really like a huge gamer guy, but like the last time I played a video game was like, like uh Madden 2005, probably, you know, like, you know, whatever Madden or NBA live came out. And I, the past month, I, I don't even know how I came across this game. And it is like taking over my life. This browser game called Supremacy 1914. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it, it's kind of, I don't know why this isn't the national pastime in the pandemic. This thing, it's like kind of like Risk. It's kind of a little bit like Risk, the mm-hmm. board game. And you have to kind of scheme to take over the world. Oh, this is badass. And you get resources and you have to balance out all your resources. And you got to, do you want to build your military up? Because then if you do, you're going to, you know, waste your, rec- you know, it's all strategies like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's, um, you can form coalitions with other people. Uh, and anytime I form a coalition with them, invariably, I always turn on them <laughs> and uh, I ruin the game for them like a week into it. <laughs> like, no, you take the lead in invading Finland. I got your back, Norway. So listen, listening public out there, never trust Greg Gather no. in 1916 Supremacy. Supremacy 1914. I'm doing really well right now with um, playing as uh, East Algeria. Oh, okay. I've conquered the rest of Africa except for Morocco. And that's only because I'm in a coalition with Morocco. But little does he know because he's trying to invade Portugal right now. And he only has uh, level five forts and he has no artillery. I may be taking Morocco by the end of the night. Well, I maybe I guess then he won't hear this before that game takes place. Uh, but look out, man! Look out! <laughs> look out, Morningstar four thirteen. Uh, <laughs> um. Okay. Well, moving on then to our uh, arguments here. First, Jake, I just want you. I want to hear you kind of lay out why you think Star Wars Episode One Racer is the ultimate arcade game to end all arcade games. Sure. Um, You know, I want to back up a little bit and probably do something that I should have laid out in the intro, which is, you know, the, what the arcade is. That's important for answering this question, right? Mm -hmm. Why go to an arcade? Well, in my experience, you know, I went to arcades when I was a kid a lot because um, like they're sort of exists in the basements of places that are for 
adults that are functioning members of society and and what that means is, you know, they buy things, right? So, for instance, my dad liked to gamble a lot. Well, below every casino, there's a fucking arcade, which basically looks like a mirror image of the casino, which is, you know, training for, uh, you know, for kids to grow up and then go upstairs and then lose tons and tons of money in service of keeping the economy afloat and filling the coffers of people that own casinos and things like that. When I look at the arcades, the thing that really bums me out is the ticket games because those seem to be just generating a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. The ones where you put a coin in and then you hope to hit it big and then hit you know the 500 ticket marker. So that sort of thing seems depraved to me. It's fun because it's addictive. But when I ask myself, what is the ultimate video game? Well, the ultimate video game transcends the mechanisms of you know, capitalism and spending and things like that, that, uh, that keep the, the room itself in business, right? So rather than getting addicted to these games that just sort of string you along with very little content, what's, what's the game with the most content? And to be honest with you, maybe tough call, right? I really enjoy like the Simpsons game. Where you oh fucking yeah! Hit stuff with a you know, barge, and you got a vacuum cleaner. That shit's pretty cool. Um, there's been some pretty cool action games like that. Uh, the Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, Another very classic. fun smash up game. But nothing, everything pales in comparison to this like work of art, which is this thing that like it's immersive. Um, it doesn't suck, you know, the quarters out of your pocket, and it doesn't really feel when you are putting more quarters in that it's a uh, grift. It's very much right, right. good deal, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, most importantly, you know, the mark of a good video game is that it's uh, threatening at all times to give you a seizure with how mm. incredible its graphics are. Um, it definitely warps your brain a little bit. And by the time you step out of the thing, you're like, you're, you know, your eyes have to readjust to the, the low level of light within the arcade itself. Mm-hmm. The game, I mean, it's pretty fun. It's got a lot of replay value. It's based, it's better than the movie that it's based on. That's another thing. Hard yes. That movie sucked, but like the best part of it is this jammed in idea of whatever the fuck pod racing is, which is, you know, uh, like a d- kind of dune buggy speeder type tr- track racket thing that's run by a uh, racial stereotype <laughs> who yeah. you have to talk to. And But he's very charming. It's kind of funny, you know, and when you're a kid, you're playing this, you know, it's weird and wrong. It's it's funny, you know, to wonder why the why the anti-Semitic stereotype is part of the game. You know, but like just the gamified though itself, it comes with this sort of long game that you can, if you want, invest into where you have to buy gear and increase your uh, durability or acceleration rate or all Mm -hmm. these stats, you know, that go along with your racer. And um, it gives an incredible amount of replay value, which is worth it. It's also worth it, though, just to play the fucking one time. Because, uh, I mean, you sit down to that thing and you control the pod racer by putting your left hand and your right hand on these like, you know, what is, I don't even know what they're called. These like, um, you know, gears yeah, like you like, move in like a cockpit of an airplane or whatever. Yeah, weird, weird levers or something. In terms of the control mechanism transferring to the game, 
I'm going to go. This works better than anything else in the fucking arcade, because usually you've got like that weird plastic gun. That's like it shoots to the left of where it's actually supposed mm-hmm. to shoot. But this is this is pretty fun. Um, Star Wars Episode One Racer. You can't play it right now in its pure form because, you know, arcades are dead because of coronavirus. But if you have like a if you're like a Saudi prince and you're listening to this, you have the money. <laughs> Order it for your home. I guarantee you, you will get tops five to ten hours of enjoyment out of this before, you know, you set it on fire or whatever. What you don't realize is that 95% of our listenership is Saudi princes. So you are speaking their language. Um, Well, for those of you unfortunate enough to not have ever played this game, uh, according to Wikipedia, Star Wars Episode One Racer Arcade is a 2000 arcade racing game developed by AM5 and LucasArts and released by Sega. It is based, like you said, on the pod racing scenes in the 1999 film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Arguably much better than the rest of the movie. Uh, they could have just made the whole fucking movie about pod racing. Yeah. The arcade, though, was the, was the follow-up to the at-home version of this racing game. Oh, interesting. And talking about what you... Yeah, they, they decided to... like They are like, all right, well, we can sell it in, in people's homes. But we can also make an arcade version. And talking about, about what you were saying before about like kind of like games that cause... Um, that might cause a seizure. The project lead, John Knowles, uh, who worked on the game, said that he wanted to make it feel like an eyeball-peeling racing game <laughs> where you're going so fast, you're just nervous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like, that's how, I, like, yeah, exactly how you want to, like... Nothing about more in a recreational activity than anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> just like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> this is so much fun. Um, well, as of 2011, the game holds the Guinness record as the best selling sci-fi racing game, mm. a very narrow category. Uh. Um, yeah. Having worldwide, worldwide sales of 3.12 million. But, uh, one more thing though, I, I read, that's really cool about the development of this game. I read it on gamesradar.com. It says that because the original game's hyper-fast hyper vehicles were to be dragged by the two you know, pods, the left, massive left and right engines tethered to their cockpits, coder Eric Johnston turned dog walking into pod racer simulation in order to help him work out the physics of the game. He lived uh, in Half Moon Bay in San Francisco, and what he would do is that he would take his two dogs, <laughs> leash them up, and get on a skateboard, yeah, and have them go as fast as he could, and like that's how he would think about coding the game, <laughs> which is so cool. <laughs> that is such a cool thing. That's very intense. Yeah, right. Also, like, what a commitment to like figuring out this like this ridiculous video game i i don't think any people who make video games go to that length eric johnson so good on you now moving on to our the other side of our debate here greg why is it that you think that adam's family pinball is the ultimate representation of what an arcade game is well so Adam's Family Pinball, I started playing it in, in college. And yeah, it was my sophomore year of college, right? And then my dorm, 
we had a little lounge and we had like a little chintzy arcade. So we had the big arcade but that was in the union building, right? And the big arcade was right next to the commuter lounge. So it was hard to get your room in there because the commuters kind of took it over. And there was one commuter in particular who was called the king of the commuter lounge. <laughs> who, he had a lot of sway and a lot of influence in the commuter lounge mm. community. And then I hated being around him because my friend Bobby Gillespie one time sat in the commuter lounge next to the arcade game, waited for this guy to come in from his class. My friend Bobby lived on campus, mind you, and just said, you really think a lot of yourself, huh? Because of how much, how much pull you got in the commuter lounge, huh? And just seeing this like hour long debate where my friend had to cut this guy down to size. So because of that, I had to avoid going to the Union Arcade, mm-hmm. uh, which had a Mortal Kombat. I was never a really Mortal Kombat guy, but had one of the, like the WWF games, like one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I was limited to like my chintzy dorm arcade, which had like three or four games in it. And one of them was Adam's Family Pinball. And that thing ruined my GPA by like <laughs> 1.5 to 2.0 points like that year. That game that that just took over my life. That game just swallowed me whole. And that thing, you know, anytime I come across that thing, like at that arcade by my parents' house where they live now. Last time I went up there, I was like, I'm gonna go peek my head in the arcade. Me, I'll play some skee ball. <gasps> Adam's Family Pinball. Adam's Family Pinball. And I am a cheap person. I do not like spending money. I don't like spending money too much money at once. I dropped like forty bucks playing Adam's Family Pinball, and it was like a Saturday. In May, in like the Adirondacks in New York, beautiful weather, 70 degrees. I'm on a lake, plenty of you know mountains I could go to, boats I could ride in, plenty of things to do. There I am from the hours of 2 p.m. to probably 6.30 p.m., whatever, playing pinball. I'm, a, I'm in my late 30s at the time. Anytime I come across that thing, that thing just like sucks up my change, my tension, my devotion, mm-hmm. I just got to play that game. But in the course of this conversation, I'm kicking myself because I would have picked another game. <laughs> What's that? This other game, maybe you guys have seen it. It's called Derby Owners Club. Oh, yeah. It's like a horse racing game. I only came across this game once. And it was when I lived up in Boston. And Boston had the motherland of arcades up there. Is this place called Good Times Emporium? Mm-hmm. Sadly, is no longer with us. It is the only redeeming part of Boston when I live there because I do not like living in Boston, yeah. Massachusetts, one bit. Mm-hmm. Sure, like it, it was like it's probably now an Amazon fulfillment center. That's how big this place was. Wall to wall arcade games, and then they had like forty big screen TVs that are always, always showing sports. It was like an even more violent Dave and Buster's kind of thing. <laughs> even more violent. Yeah, they had like uh, go-karts in there. They had laser tag. Um, even though gambling uh, is not legal in the state of Massachusetts at the time, they found loopholes around that so you could gamble in there. Nice. Uh, they had a side venue attached to it where you could watch like boxing matches or WWE pay-per-views for like 15 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever. I came across Derby Owners Club at this thing. I was like, what is this game? I'm like, it's a horse racing game. This isn't making any sense. I'm playing it. I'm like, what is going on? 
and you get like a Metro card, like you're riding the subway, right? Like, you know, you put money on your Metro card. And then I, I, I looked at it, I, I, I put it back in. You can breed horses in Derby Owners Club. So you can, like, and this card, this like Metro card looking thing contains the genetic lineage of the horses you breed. Oh. Whoa. And I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Do you mind if I read a little sample of the Wikipedia? Please, please. All right. So, all right, depending on where the horse is finished, they are awarded a purse. Back at the stables, the, the owner must now gauge your horse's personality after the race. The horse either gains or suffers through the owner's actions. Given the nature of the game, many websites and players have developed large amounts of media dedicated to the breeding, training, and racing of horses. Much of it is focused on whip points, where if players whip at the right times according to their horse's ability and personality, they can take advantage of the race and win. <laughs> and, and then it just goes on to describe the, the optimal whip strategies you should have for your horse. <laughs> like if your horse is um, a front runner, you got to whip him fiercely at the beginning of the race to ensure a good lead. But if he's a spurt, a spurt horse – which is a terrible thing to come out of your mouth. <laughs> it, bird that means you got to save your whipping power for the end. So successful racers have also spent a large portion of time looking into the different breeding lines. But Derby Owners Club is a hell of a game. And I applaud, I applaud the Orwellian nature <laughs> of that game. That is a truly nightmare scenario. Because, you know, like, remember, like, you know, like other games, like the Simpsons game, you could have, like, four people playing at once. Mm-hmm. This one, yeah. you could have, like, 12 people or something playing at once. Yeah, I'm looking at the consoles right now. They're fucking huge. And, like, there's no way anyone has ever, there's no way 12 people have ever played that game at one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so ambitious. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, there's, like, like 12, 12 dudes somewhere who got really into Derby Owners Club or, like, Yo, guys, card up. <laughs> card up. We're going, we're, going to, we're going to the laundromat. Yeah, you can get 12 at a time. Of these, <laughs> like, con- like, these seats going that have, like, the, the little bench and then the sort of, like, leaned back screen with the whole table and cup holders like you're at a slot machine or, like, yeah. like um, Joker poker or something. I'd also imagine, like, you could be playing... If you're playing with, if like 12 people are playing at once, there could be like a father and a son playing and like the son might not be good at it and he might not know the proper whip strategies yet. You know, he's a boy. He's only a boy. And the dad after could win or whatever and just be like, son, you know, you're going to get there someday. Here, take my card. (laughs) I've got 19 generations of horse genealogy on this card. You're just starting out, but I want you to have it. I want to pass something down to you. No, I mean, I know we're supposed to be arguing, but I'm kind of coming with you in this horse game. I've never played it, but the added element of animal husbandry (laughs) starts to get into, like, eugenics and maybe even a level of playing God that I didn't know was possible in the video game. So very cool. I applaud. Then I, I just read this, and when I looked it up real quick during our conversation, Today, there are only 24 Derby Owner Club machines listed in the United States on Arcade. So there's only 28 of them left. 
Well, before we go any further, I'd like to dive into a special treat. It's a guest segment from the host of our sister podcast, Girl Game Chat. Let's hear from Bazooka Bambi. Hey guys, what's up? It's me, Bazooka Bambi from Girl Game Chat. And I'm here to talk to you about the three most fuckable video game characters. Coming in at number three is Sonic. Not only is Sonic super fast, but he's also super fit. And who doesn't love those pushback little hair spikes? Mmm, very sexy. And we all fell in love with Sonic watching him in those 90s cartoons where he was voiced by Jaleel White. You know, as Urkel, not very hot. And Sonic, very hot. Go figure. Where does Sonic keep his penis? That's his secret. Sonic is only surpassed by his arch nemesis, Knuckles. Mmm, Knuckles. Let's talk about that red little spice hog. Oh, I guess he's an agenda. Oh, whatever. Um, the only person who has better hair than Sonic is Knuckles. This beautiful, long, red, I guess you call them dreads. Very cool. He had like that sort of anti-hero energy, like not so in your face, like how Shadows um, is. Uh, I'm, I like it. I'm very into that. Um, you know, he's got a, a troubled past. He's, you know, looking out for his people. Um, you know, he's kind of a dark soul, but there's, there's a lot of good to him. And I mean, those knuckles, right? Like, just imagine what you could do with those knuckles. And of course, I'm sure it comes as a surprise to nobody that at number one is Pac-Man. Yes, the OG video game honkster. I mean, who doesn't love a man with an appetite? If you know what I mean. And that's it. The top three most fuckable video game characters. Agree? Disagree? I don't give a shit. And now back to Which is More with Pete and Xanthor. Always great to hear from Bazooka Bammy, guys. So... Excuse me for interrupting, though. But it seems we are at an unprecedented moment in this show's progress. We all seem to be in agreement. That in fact, the greatest arcade game to ever represent arcade games is Derby Owners Club. And the fact that there are so few still remaining in existence makes it clear that, that one must be located and preserved for all time beyond humanity's existence. Well, um, I... I Guess that's right. We were going to talk about the Adams Family pinball game, but I think you made a more compelling argument that it seems like we're now all on board that Derby Owners Club is the greatest arcade game, possibly. Look, I don't want to be merge Adams Family pinball. I just, I don't even want to talk about Adams Family pinball because I'm going to go to a skate where you can, uh, you're going to, I can, I'm going to go to one of the bad skates and play that. <laughs> one of the bad skates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Has to go to a contact tracing person and be like, 
Oh, you know, no, I brought the virus back to Philadelphia because I, I went to go play Adam's family in uh, Sugarland, Texas. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Derby Derby Owners Club. I think that that's the game. I think that's the game. I'm glad Xanthor agrees. Xanthor, would you, do you have eleven other of your species who might want to sit around? Somewhat sit around at a Dave and Buster somewhere. Have some. Have some. Have some wings, have some beers, and, and play some horses. I am somewhat of an outcast, considering everyone seems to not be able to stand my presence for more than 20 minutes. But if I can convince 10 more of us, or 11 more of us, to get together, sure, maybe perhaps I can bribe them with these wings and beer you speak of. All right, well, I mean... I guess Jake, if you're if you're cool with it, I I think that Xanthor's already made up his mind. It's it's Derby Derby Owners Club. Yeah, I I just I can't help but like roll over on this because I'm now thinking about thinking very wistfully now about the tragedy of the lives of these horses that <laughs> only in these AI bloodlines on Dave and Buster's slider cards, which <laughs> tragically there is something like very um, like Philip K. Dick or Isaac yes. about this, where they, they exist in a reality that, you know, is it more or less real than our own? I don't know. The only thing that really separates us from them is that our world continues to exist and their universe that, depends on ours has been forcefully whittled down to a tiny set of machines but you know we could all die in this pandemic right now i mean the Mm. pandemic attacks our meat bodies there's a reality in which we are outlived by the last of these artificial horse like bloodlines Mm -hmm. it's kind of beautiful yeah i'm going to read one more thing from this article because this is this is going to go on to this point. One thing, um, the game is no longer available outside selects at Dave and Buster's in America. It's very popular mm-hmm. in Japan still. This article, though, I believe was written in 2010. So <laughs> maybe not anymore. But this article ends with the following paragraph. One thing that remains, however, is the secondary market for horses. Once upon a time, while Derby Owners Club was at its peak, people would sell their best bred horses for as high as $50 a pop on eBay. Today, you can still buy horses from the same top stables from back in the day, but they fetch more like $5 a pop. Even in the virtual world, the horse game is a tough racket. I Tears in the rain. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no response for that. Uh, um, Just imagine being in an eBay bidding war. Like, this guy's the top breeder of Derby Owners Club in Bloomfield, Michigan. If anything outlives humanity, it definitely needs to be that. Uh, <laughs> that the eBay transaction record of people buying and selling horse genealogy from an arcade game. Androids dreaming of electric sheep, you know? Like I'm thoroughly, I'm thoroughly against NSA data collection. <laughs> but if I were an NSA agent, the, all the work I would do would be dedicated to finding out who has bought Derby Owners Club cards via online auction sites because that's the, those are the people I want 
running the NSA along with me. Thank you once again for giving legitimacy to our endeavor by committing around an hour of your time that you can never get back. Though in the grand scheme of celestial history, that doesn't even really mean much anyway, does it? For more from Greg, follow him at Greg Gethard on Twitter, at Financial Guru Greg Gethard on Instagram, and keep an eye out for one of his excellent financial seminars once it is safe enough again to hold them. For more from Jake, follow him at Feral Jokes on all social media, and check out his podcasts, Pod Damn America and Why You Mad. Our theme music was composed by Yoki Danoff. Our special segment was produced by the Midnight Gardeners League. This episode was produced by my co-host, Pete Musto, who you can follow at TryTheLandCrab on Twitter and at BadassWizard on Instagram. Finally, we humbly request once again that you please subscribe to Which Is More on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and write a review. Follow us at Which Is More Podcast on Instagram and Which Is More One on Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests or debate topics, please email us at whichismorepodcast at gmail.com and never give up hope that your favorite things about being human will make the cut and last forever, long after you're nothing more than cosmic dust. An MGL production.